10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Borodal Pab, Kroiso Abatawi Alephon, welcome to Swansea and Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio. Tonight, we're talking about Project Failure. Have you tried to implement something this year? Has it just not settled in? We've all been there, we've all seen it. We're going to talk about what makes the difference between a successful project and one that just doesn't go as well. Let's go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn, yet here from sunny South Wales. It's sunny, it's gorgeous, we're in the summer term, but there is a lot going on. we got SATs, we've got GCSEs, that's where I'm at at the moment, and of course we are coming, you know, we're looking at those school improvement projects that we started maybe way, way back in September. You know, we're starting to look at them. Have they worked? Haven't they worked? Maybe, maybe some of you listening in are thinking about next year and thinking, you know, I want to change this. Here's something we want to do. Uh, and, and you're looking at that and you're thinking, right, how can I make it not like all of those other uh, flash in the pans that we've seen before? Uh, you know, the, this, this newfangled way that we're coming in, those posters that we all have to have up on our classroom wall or this uh, form that we we all have to fill in or so many so many school uh, improvement projects so many projects so many things that we want to do and they just don't last they're just not successful and there's lots of ways that you can involve yourself this evening and you know across the evenings with teachers talk radio of course if you're live in the Podbean app right now, you can text us live in the studio and let us know your thoughts. Share some of those things. When did it work? When didn't it work? You know, what was the difference between success and failure for you at your school? Of course, uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us at TT Radio Official, where you can tweet us. I'll be reading out some of those tweets as we go through as well. We've already had some some comments and some ideas about what some of our listeners think are the the important things to think about when looking at those uh, school improvement projects so we've got that way as well you could call in if you're live podbean app you can hit that call in button and we'll talk to you live on air uh, more than welcome join the conversation that's what we're here for real teachers real talk uh, and we're going to be talking it out tonight the other way that you can reach us if you're listening back if you found this on Apple, uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, on any of those streaming platforms where you can listen back to all of our shows. You can, of course, still message us. You can find myself on Twitter or you can find us on uh, Instagram. You can find us on LinkedIn. Make some comments, ask some questions and join the conversation. Uh, That is what we're here for. Now, as I say, I titled the show Project Failure and 
maybe that's just my experience. Maybe this is, you know, the old head on my shoulders, uh, looking back at all of those different things that I've seen over the years being brought in by, you know, maybe different leaders, different middle leaders, different projects that we wanted to do. And I think about which ones really made a difference and which ones stuck around for a long time. And so, yeah, I've called it project failure. And I wanted to start off, I wanted to start off just with a little bit of information. Uh, This is from the uh, Education Endowment Foundation. Um, And it's back from 2018 when they released a guidance report on um, effective evidence-based teaching strategies can fail with poor implementation. And this is from a press release that they released at the time. It was Sir Kevin uh, Collins, their chief executive um, of the Education Endowment Foundation, the EEF, we often see it written down as, um, highlighting this uh, new guidance report. And it was called A School's Guide to Implementation. Now, according to Sir Kevin, and this is his quote, Uh, There are many barriers to implementing new programs and approaches effectively in schools. The bombardment of new ideas and initiatives, limited time and resources, the pressure to yield quick results, to name just a few. As a result, it can be too easy to overlook the critical steps needed to maximise the chance of success, creating the right conditions for implementation, uh, let alone the structured process of planning, delivering and sustaining change. It's a hard grind. Uh, Yet the thoughtful implementation of new teaching and learning strategies can mean the difference between succeeding and failing. It is really that stark. So with so much at stake, it's absolutely crucial schools give it their innovations the best chance by working carefully through who, why, where, when, how, and managing that change. Now, we're going to be talking through tonight some of those steps, but not just from education. We're going to pull some information from places like the Harvard Business Review, like Forbes, pull out some of those informations from the domain of project managers and try and look at some of those things. But it would be remiss. You know, this was a big piece of uh, work that came out, something that all schools will be familiar with. Uh, If you've used it, I'd love to hear from you. Um, But published as Putting Evidence to Work, the School's Guide to Implementation has four stages, and they give them as explore, prepare, deliver, and sustain. Now, as I run through those, and we'll reflect on some of those things and where perhaps we've seen them gone wrong in the past, particularly in education, as I say, myself, if I was to look at the percentages, certainly for me, more initiatives have failed than been successful. And that includes ones led by myself, I should say. I'm not I'm not put, placing the blame elsewhere. But certainly, they re- it was really hard to get right. So in their explore section, they suggest specify a tight area of focus for improvement, uh, determine a program of activity based on existing evidence of what has and hasn't worked before, and examine the fit, feasibility, and possible interventions for the school context. Make an adoption decision. Now, that's really interesting for me, and I think we're going to come back to over and over again, the fit and feasibility of possible interventions when we talk about them for schools. How many times have you heard something being introduced because someone saw it at another school or had something uh, tried to be implemented at your place of work because it was considered best practice 
from somewhere else, from uh, an advisor, a different area, uh, something that someone's read in a book. That's the done thing to do. It's the latest fad, the latest craze. And I've seen that many times. Uh, so I'm really interested to hear people's thoughts on on that part particularly. But yeah, so we start off, they suggest, by exploring and putting that groundwork in uh, to look at what we need to do. Their next area of their four stages is to prepare. And they suggest we develop a clear, logical, well-specified implementation plan. We specify the active ingredients of the intervention clearly, and we develop a targeted multi-stranded package of implementation strategies. We define the clear implementation outcomes and monitor them using robust, pragmatic measures. And then we thoroughly assess the degree to which the school is ready to implement the uh, the innovation. Once we're ready, we create a shared understanding with appropriate support and incentives, and we introduce the skills and knowledge and strategies with explicit upfront training And then we make sure that there is an implementation infrastructure. Now, this whole bit, this whole section here, the first section, I'm sure I've seen that. This second section, I'm less sure. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But for me, when we think about that that kind of element of do we have the structures in place? Do we have the things in place in school to actually implement what we're going to say? You know, it's very easy to come up with ideas. You know, we're going to improve uniform. But the how, the why, do we have the staff available at break times, at registration, to be able to deal with those problems? You know, there's a real tough question there for schools to ask is, are they really ready to do the thing they want to do? Do they have the capacity? So that's where the EEF puts it. Of course, their third one is to deliver. I think we jumped to this one too quickly. Maybe that's my opinion. Love to hear your thoughts. Do we just have an idea and jump to it to adopt it? Jump to that deliver stage where they suggest adopt a flexible and motivating leadership approach during the turbulent initial attempts of implementation. Reinforce initial training with follow-on coaching within the school setting. Uh, They also suggest that we use highly skilled coaches complement expert coaching and mentoring with structured peer-to-peer collaboration. And we use implementation data to actively tailor the approach. We make thoughtful adaptations uh, only when the active ingredients are securely understood and implemented. Now, I think here, when I, as I understand, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you think differently. But as I have seen many, many times with implementation of new initiatives in school, I've seen us jump to it. Maybe a staff meeting. We are going to do this. And then it should be done. And that's not the model here, it suggests. This this coaching model, this tailoring, this peer-to-peer support and structured development. You know, I'd be really interested if people are using this because my experience, my, my experience as we go through, my experience is that we have the idea that we want to do something. We have a project we want to do, whether that be we want everyone to write the date in the books or whether it be we want to have everyone mark in a different colored pen, whether it be that we want to address an issue around uniform. We have the idea, and that idea is incepted in the, you know, the, the the leadership team normally. 
and then we decide that we're going to do it. And then we, we communicate that message through a, a staff meeting, maybe labelled a staff training, maybe a number of sessions, but certainly not a significant amount of coaching have I seen or peer-to-peer collaboration have I seen through that. We decide we're going to do it. We say that it's going to happen. We expect it done. And then we don't have something that is embedded. Well, maybe that's just me. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Don't forget, you can tweet us. You can call in. Uh, you can text us if you're live in the Podbean app. Um, don't be too cruel with me. You know, maybe it's just my experience. The last part in the EEF guidance when they talk about these four things is sustain. We plan for sustaining and scaling an innovation from the outset. We treat scale up as a new implementation process. We ensure the implementation data remains fit for purpose and we continually acknowledge and support and reward good implementation practices. Now, this for me is one where we, you know, my experience of education, we we completely fail. We've moved on by this point. You know, the school improvement plan, there's new priorities written on it. Maybe it's the next year. So of your projects that you have completed this year in your schools, I would ask how many of them you know will be mentioned on the school improvement plan for next year or has it been considered done and dusted that has been uh, implemented that that project is over with we have finished and we are moving on to a new project a new priority a new thing that we're going to do within the school because we need these new priorities and we're not thinking about the opportunities and what is needed to sustain the ones that we started last year let alone the ones we started the year before. You know, we talk about retrieval practice all the time in education. We talk about spiral curriculums. Do we talk about it in our school improvement plans? Do we come back to those projects that we had and re, uh, re-embed, uh, sustain, check in? Does that happen? So that's where we find ourselves at the start. You know, the start of this, as I say, very much feeding on the Education Endowment Foundation's guide for schools uh, to help implementation. And we start in an education topic. Why? Why, you might ask? Uh, Is this so important to me at the moment? Well, it's something that we're all thinking about. As I say, there'll be people with performance management targets they're thinking about. There'll be children sitting exams, uh, SATs whatever it is may be, looking at end of year data because it's coming to the end of year. So we need to finish our yearly process and wrap those things up. The problem for that, for me, is around workload. And I want to reference here an article in TeachWire, and it was written by David Didow, and it was titled, Weak Leadership, Not Workload, is Forcing Teachers to Quit. And it starts with some shocking statistics. It, you know, It says, widely accepted Uh, It's widely accepted that far too many teachers quit in their first years of teaching. Agreed. The government are pretty concerned about this as teacher shortages are poised to soar with an expected 400,000 additional children due to make their way through the system over the next decade. Ouch. I did not know that. I knew about the teacher shortages. I've seen those numbers, you know, being tweeted out of how many jobs are on the uh, education boards uh you know advertising for jobs but yeah extra children as well you know that this is you know we're facing a, a perfect storm really 
Uh, it goes on to say, sorry, uh, currently almost half of the fully qualified teachers under the age of 60 are not working in the classroom. Wow. I did not know that. So there are, you know, there are teachers. They just don't want to teach. Um, most surveys of disgruntled teachers have cited unnecessary workload burdens as a fair part of the reason for why so many decide teaching is a less attractive career option than they first supposed. This is the part for me. This is where it ties in, as I say, to those projects you're being asked to do, to those staff meetings you're being asked to attend because you have a new way of doing something. Or at the start of every lesson, we're going to turn around and clap our hands three times because that's what we've decided to do. That's our school improvement plan. I'm flippant, but, you know, I've, I've, I've not been far off that, you know, uh, this year we've decided that everyone has to have this specific poster up because we're going to be doing this specific thing and it's going to make all of the difference. And two years later, has it? You know. Anyway, in the article, David Didell goes on to say, but we do tend to resent pointless, time-consuming, make-work tasks that appear to contribute little or nothing to children's education. And that's where the school improvements projects fall into me. If they're going to fail, if they're not going to embed, what are they bringing apart from extra workload? You know, he, you know, he goes on to, to name a number of factors that he says uh, make uh, teaching soul-destroying, soul-crushing, sorry, rather than rewarding. But the root cause... He says, a horrible car crash of perverse incentives and weak school leadership, cliff-edge accountability pressures of league tables, high-stakes inspections that make it desirable to find ways to game the system. Such gaming, in turn, allows weak leaders to direct teachers to waste their time on things that are unlikely to enrich children's lives. He calls them school's sausage factories, where there is a disproportionate number of teachers quitting the system. And he says, this is the key point. Teachers are a valuable asset. As teacher shortages start to bite over the coming years, teachers will certainly, or certainly should, uh, become increasingly aware of their own worth and refuse to tolerate poor leadership. If the school is forcing you to waste your precious time on soul-deadening guff, then the school across town will welcome you with open arms. You know, it's hard not to agree. And I, you know, I would ask you to reflect on any staff meeting you've been in this year, any new initiative that the school has made. And maybe you're a new teacher, maybe you're an experienced teacher, maybe you are that teacher who's been teaching twenty years and is sat at the back, who knows what they're doing and has seen this intervention, this this change, this improvement, be tried three times already by different. Uh, assistant heads as they have come and gone through the school and you're thinking to yourself here we go again shall I try my hardest or shall I just weather the storm well we're going to be finding out how if you are that assistant head you can make it uh, so that using project management skills something that is sorely missing in education I would say uh we can look at embedding real change, sustainable change, but change that is embedded and has longevity to it so that we can, uh, uh, so that we can not waste our teachers' time. 
Now, as we pause, I want to mention to you an organization that helps us out here at Teacher Talk Radio, and one that, you know, I'm a massive fan of myself. Um, they are uh, that happy, confident company. One of the things that I really like about them is uh, their journals. <sighs> I love this, you know, this reflection. Uh, they are uh, booklets, daily opportunity to reflect on the on this child's day. Uh, and they can get into that habit of talking about their emotions, what went well, what didn't. Well, let's hear a little bit from them. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll sing some more wax lyrical about how they do in a minute. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Swansea. You find us here on this sunny evening talking about school improvement projects and why projects fail. We're looking a little bit, as I say, we've, we've started off talking about the Education Endowment Fund uh, Foundation. Sorry, we've talked a little bit about that what feels like pointless workload. And we had a little bit from uh, David Didale's article there talking about um, how uh, demoralizing that can make teaching when, you know, particularly, and I reflect, you know, on the teachers who are maybe long in the tooth and have seen this same project try to be introduced three or four times over their career. And they're thinking, you know, is it worth the effort? It never stays around for long. All of those things. Well, if we want to make educational change, we should do. And it was great there to hear from that uh, happy, confident company. As I say, we'll hear more from them uh, later on in the show, but some wonderful things. And I would advise, go visit them at happyconfident.com. As I say, their journals, I'm a big fan of. Uh, so back to the uh, the point at hand. And if you are listening live in Podbean, don't forget you can text us in through the Podbean app and share your thoughts on when projects have worked well and when they haven't. Of course, you can call in too if you have comments and you want to share them live on air, hit that call in button and join us there. But if you're on Twitter, tweet us at TT Radio Official. So I said we'd look into the world of business, uh, see what we can learn from there because as I say, from my teacher training, from a lot of teacher training, I think the elements of leadership, the elements of uh, school improvement, they don't get a lot of time. You know, rightly so, maybe we're focused on teaching, but more and more, as I talk to people about their performance development targets, people are given a project, uh, particularly in primary schools. You know, you might be very early on in your career, expected to lead a subject, expected to have some kind of project and improvement with very little support or training behind that about what they do. Now, this first article we're talking about comes from Forbes magazine. Uh, it's from 2022, and they give 10 essential project management skills. Um, they suggest that some people naturally possess project management skills, 
Uh, I disagree. I think everything can be learned, but we're going to go through. They do separate them into hard skills, what they call hard skills and soft skills. Uh, and we'll talk about which one of these we think apply to teachers and which ones we, we possibly already have as we come through. One of the ones, the first one they talk about within their section of hard skills is risk management, the process of making conscious decisions to maximize the upsides and minimize the downsides of actions in your business is known as risk management. Now, do we do this with our school improvement projects? Uh, they say you should understand your company's or department's risk tolerance. Do you have a budget dedicated to experimentation or does every project need to yield a profit. <coughs> I think that's something we need to recognise within education as well. There are some things that we do that we think maybe have to work. I think the, the, the idea that there may be some failure, are we going to try something? Is it experimentation or is it something we want to work? Uh, you know, that's something that I don't think gets talked about. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. If your school, when you start something new, thinks about both the upsides and the downsides of the new project being taken on, then I may be wrong. But for me, I would say in education, risk management of new projects is is non-existent in my experience. As I say, I may be wrong. I think we look at the positives. We tend to look at what we think the benefits are going to be, and we don't necessarily look at the potential downsides and that is a hard skill that they suggest of their 10 and i would say it's lacking in education uh risk management now their second one that they talk about is cost management you'll either receive a budget for a project or be tasked with presenting a cost estimate uh, for decision makers to approve cost management is uh what they talk about one of the triple constraints of project management triangle it's an important thing in business do we think about it with school improvement projects? Again, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would say we don't. And I would say it falls under an umbrella of schools forgetting that staff time has an opportunity cost. Staff time has a cost. You know, if your staff meetings, and I would ask you to reflect on this, if your staff meetings at your school were being paid out of an overtime budget rather than being needed to be mapped out in the year, would you have every one of those staff meetings? And I think we forget that. I think we also forget cost uh, management in a number of areas around uh, resources, particularly in primary schools. We assume that the stock cupboard is always full. There is always laminating pouches there. There is always photocopying available. You know, when you last ran a school improvement project, was it costed out? And if it was costed out, I'm going to hazard a guess. I would be really surprised if there's anyone listening who, when it was costed out, staff time in wages and staff time in planning as well and the meetings that you've had to, have to do it was factored into that cost. I'd be surprised. So risk management, cost management, I'm saying that we do those things badly in education. And Forbes are saying they're, they're, they're incredibly important when thinking about project management in business. Why not in education? I'll leave that one hanging in the air. Number three for them is reading and writing. Now, I would hope that in education, you know, we've got these ones nailed down. You know, reading comprehension, clear writing skills are vital for project managers 
agreed, hopefully teachers, we have those things. I think though, there are elements of that where we don't receive training. You know, if someone said to you, okay, I, I want you to run a project where we're going to improve boys' handwriting, lovely typical kind of project there, primary and secondary probably, you know, um, they would say that. And then w- where would you go? What are they expecting of you? What does that project look like? Does your school have a pro forma or are you left to it? You know, what does the proposal process look like? So th- there is a domain specific element, you know, as I say, but I'm leaving it for now. I'm sticking risk management, cost management. We're poor at reading and writing as skills. Hopefully, you know, in education, we're okay. at. The fourth of their list is planning and forecasting. This is one of the key roles of project managers is creating a roadmap for the project that will guide other stakeholders in their roles. And I think we're okay at this from, you know, school improvement plans I've been lucky to, to, to share and have a look at when I've been involved with them tend to have timeframes. We tend to have an idea of mapping those things out throughout a school year. As I said earlier, you know, in the, in the first part of the show, I think we forget sometimes that these things need to be over a longer period of time because we need to go back to them year on year. I think we tend to stick to maybe, you know, a a one-year school improvement priority uh, format. But, you know, I think planning, maybe this is, you know, from our time planning lessons, I think planning and forecasting somewhat teachers are okay on. And of the fifth hard skills that they have, and feel free, as I say, if you're listening live, shoot me down. Or if you're listening back on iTunes, on Amazon, wherever you get your Podbean, your your podcasts on the Podbean app as well, incidentally. But if I've said something you disagree with, if I've said something you agree with, tweet us uh, at TT Radio Official and join the conversation. Now, we move into what they call their soft skills. They talk about leadership. Now, I think leadership is fine in leadership roles and, you know, assistant heads and deputy heads and and heads will get support in leadership. My only question for that is as we funneled the projects down to class teachers, and and I say particularly in primary, I think this is is the case, where we're asking uh, classroom teachers to spearhead projects as part of their role, as part of their performance development. Have we given them the support and training in what that leadership looks like. I think we assume it a lot in education that because you can lead a class, you in some way can lead a staff meeting, can lead a project. They are not the same thing. You know, it's a tough role, a project manager. And I think in education, it's an even tougher role uh, because, you know, you are leading a team of experts, some of them with more experienced than you, particularly in the situation where I talked there about, you know, a primary school uh, with a uh, fairly new teacher whose performance development uh, project for the year has been to improve PE. You know, it's it's something that we're not supporting enough. And if we want it to do well and we want it to embed, well, we've got to put the time into it. Leadership, I'm saying, is a mixed bag. Number six for them is communication. They say hand in hand with uh, leadership is strong communication. And I think this is maybe controversial. I think teachers, 
when it comes to project management, maybe I should clarify, I think teachers, when it comes to project management, are poor communicators. And I'll explain why. I think what we're good at is having meetings with uh, senior leaders. I think we're, we're good at those. I think we're gossipy. I think word gets out. I'd be, you know, uh, there have been, you know, we've had tweets and, uh, and messages through already on the account suggesting that, you know, projects that are hush-hush and not to be discussed yet until they're launched have, have leaked out and uh, people have found their way. I, th I think we do that in education. You know, I think communication and that means mixed messages come out. I think also communication of a aim, of an objective, of a vision, those things are different to communicating in in uh, teaching. Uh, we've had a message in there from uh, Catherine that says, we're probably not great deleters. Uh, you might have to clarify on that one for me. Uh, but yeah, certainly, uh, I think there are a lot of bits within this where it, we assume that teachers will be good at something. Oh, delegators. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, when it comes down to uh, handing over, parts to each other I'd agree with that yeah for sure delegating to other people we do uh maybe not all of us certainly I have a control issue <laughs> maybe that's part of being a teacher and and yeah thank you for that this is also yeah all communicators how many times when you talk you know and we reflect back to David Didel's issue there about poor leadership in schools being one of the key factors for um teachers leaving the profession um how many times have you heard teachers say that their school, there's poor communication? And they're not talking about how many emails they get. I can tell you, you know, because some of them, are, some people are getting 100 emails a day, you know, step away from your computer, come back, and there's 20 emails there. They're talking about the clarity, you know, and the point of contact in, and, and the purpose of what they're doing. And, and how that's communicated and, and, you know, knowing that you're involved, I think communication is a big issue there. So strangely, I'm saying teachers, poor communicators. Number seven on their list is time management. Now, I'm not laying this one at the feet of teachers. I think teachers are pretty good at using their time effectively. But I'd say, you know, we're working through Forbes list of 10 project management skills. Most of them I'm saying we're not great at as teachers, uh, you know, not all of you, I'm sure, please, you know, before before the comments come in, I'm sure there are some of us, you know, who, who have some of these things nailed down. Generally, uh, there, there's parts here where I have seen from my experience as a teacher and as a leader, that these things have been weak. But yeah, time management, I would say we're, we're good at juggling multiple deadlines, constraints, you know, calmly, consistently managing that complex timeline, that we're working through in the day. But I will say, it's just time we're bad at. I don't think, you know, I think too often we can be given a new project in education or people can under, uh, can, can, can expect too much from not enough time. We can underestimate the amount of time that a new project's going to take. Say, so, right, you know, okay, I want you to improve reading for girls. Okay, in the school, say, you know, I'm plucking project management targets out of the air at this moment. I want to improve reading for girls. You're going to get half an afternoon every half term. Off you go. You know, that, that's not enough. Even with the best time management in the world, I think some of us are going to really struggle with that. 
So I'm saying time management, not entirely at the teacher's feet, but time is a problem for embedding product um, projects at school level. You know, I'm going to say that out there. We're on to number eight of the Forbes list of project management skills as I rate them and rank them with your help as whether teachers, are, you know, on a whole have these skills or not. And the next one that we have here is patience. Being at the center of multiple teams attempting to work together towards a common goal can be rewarding and it can be frustrating. Now, I'm not sure whether I would term this as patience, but certainly I think the complexity of working with lots of different teams within a school and at a secondary level, certainly, I think those pulling, you know, the pastoral team wanting this, I think the subject team wanting that, maybe you're working across subjects in multiple departments, you know, if, if, if you're teaching outside your specialism. I think working with all of those different parts and then maybe when something doesn't work as it should or, you know, God forbid, we've all complained about uh, someone, you know, perceivably not pulling their weight or, you know, not doing the same and it, and it causing you problems. I think those frustrations appear all of the time in education. You know, it's a big workplace, complex, lots of human beings. I mean, let alone the 30 that are coming in and out of your classroom, you know, every, every hour um, to be taught. That complexity and those frustrations are bound to be there. And when it comes from a, a project management point of view, you're implementing a new thing at the school, whether that be how we enter the classroom, how we hand out the books. I don't know. There's so many different things that people try and embed those frustrations and how we manage them and how we address them have got to be important. Do we do it well as teachers or do we just go to the staff room and maybe have a little bit of a mumbling mutter about other people? You know, do we do that? Well, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm not sure we do. Um, we move on, as I say, only a couple more to go. There's 10 from Forbes about how uh, the skills you should need to be a project manager. Um, number nine for them is adaptability. I, I, I swing back and forth with adaptability. Maybe that's my adaptable nature. Uh, but do we have the flexibility and adaptability within a project and when managing a project if it's constantly evolving, you know, towards better efficiency, teamwork, communication? Do we do that well in schools? I don't know. I, I think no. I think we tend to fall into what we've always done. And my example for this, and you can shoot me down, of course, you know, if you want to text in live in the studio here, or if you want to call in and, and say that I'm completely on the wrong, the wrong bolt here. My example for that was in England a little while ago now, maybe 10 years ago, we did a thing where we got rid of levels. At primary le school level, primary school age, we said we're not going to grade children by levels. And what every school immediately did was introduce its own version of levels and just call them something different. And in this wonderful world where there would be no levels, they weren't levels, but they were because we just called them something different. And so I think, uh, you know, there's a famous saying, everything's a nail to a hammer. I think we fall into that trap a lot in education. You know, we have one method of doing things and that's the way we do it. And we might rename it. We might rebrand it. Maybe we don't want to use flight paths anymore for children. But I will tell you the thing that gets introduced 
looks a, a lot like a flight path. We might not want to have levels anymore. You know, and we see this with, oh, I, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in English secondary schools. Over here in Wales, we still have um, the A grade, B grade, C grade. But in England, you know, we've moved to numbers. And I think it's just the same thing. I think it's, you know, we've just renamed something and gone through a lot of hard work just to rebrand, to rename something. Adaptability. I don't think we're that adaptable as teachers. I think the profession gets younger. And, and is it adaptability? I don't think so. So number 10, before we, uh, you know, get too deep into our problems around what teachers are good at, what they're not. Risk management, cost management, I think we're bad at. By far the worst. Communication, we should be good at and we're not, really not. I would argue with anyone if they think that teachers are good communicators on a staff to staff level, you know, as an organisation. I, I really don't agree with that. So call in if you want to argue with me on that point. Number 10 for them is critical thinkers. And I think on this one, I have to say, we swing between the two. I think we have either overly critical thinkers, and I'm including myself here as that old curmudgeon in the back of the staff room, you know, 20 years plus teaching and you're you're sat there heard this all before you know I'm one of those people who well unless they email me three times about it I'm not going to do it you know those (laughs) we got overly critical at one end and then down at the other end hyper enthusiastic maybe the person whose project it is that they're introducing who can't see the downsides I'm not sure we meet in the middle very well and that, that that critical thinking that we need for new projects of, okay, there will be problems and it's important that we look at those problems and find them before we run into them. And so I think critical thinking is something where we, we, we do need to work on as a, in the realms of project management as a school because I know many times, you know, there have been situations where a new project has been suggested and someone has, you know, asked a question, pointed out a flaw, whatever you want to call it, played devil's advocate, you know, however we turn them in that, and it's been taken personally, or it's been taken as umbrage, or it's been looked on that that person is undermining or doesn't want to do the the, the, the new thing, when in fact, actually, that element of project management, of looking for the problems, looking for the negatives is part of risk management, as well as the positives, is something that we need to do more on. We're going to park the Forbes things that they want, uh, they think a uh, school, uh, that they think a project manager outside of schools should do. Uh, When we come back, just after the news, I'm going to give you some facts about how many projects failed. It's a lot. In the business world, when we talk about projects, a lot fail. And that's one of the most surprising things for me when researching this show is how many, when we look outside of school and we're beating ourselves up about saying, oh, this thing on the school improvement plan didn't work out. Or this project, uh, you know, that we were going to introduce, everyone has their own water bottle, or we were going to introduce new water fountains or single sex toilets or whatever it is we're introducing, it failed. When we come back after the news, I'm going to give you some of the facts about how many projects in the real world, the real world, we're in the real world, in the business world, maybe, uh, fail. And we will have uh, a, a look at 
that and what that means for education. We've just had a message in from Catherine there saying, we're not always resilient or reflective around initiatives. I've got to agree with that. You know, I think they became they become our baby, maybe. They become our baby and what's precious to us. And any insult to the project is an insult to me. And, that, you know, as I always say, the problem with teaching is you are a teacher. You're not working as a teacher. And instantly it becomes really personal then because it's you. It's your being that's being uh, attacked or suggested has a flaw to it. We'll see you on the other side of the news where we'll continue this conversation about school improvement projects and project failure. See you in a minute. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Sats have made the news again as many media outlets report on allegations that children were distraught after the reading paper. The BBC website reports that parents and teachers of Year 6 pupils said the paper was difficult and that it had left some pupils in tears. In response to concerns, the Department for Education said it worked to ensure that all tests are appropriate. Whilst some parents took to social media to highlight concerns, a few also acknowledged that the tests might be good in a way to have some kind of tests before GCSE, but the schools in general are under too much pressure to perform well. Copies of the test paper cannot be published until all pupils in Year 6 have had the chance to take it. Sarah Hannafin, Head of Policy for the National Association of Head Teachers, said the union was very concerned about the paper and it would be raising concerns with the Standards and Testing Agency. In Scotland, Edinburgh University students have criticised the institution's response to a marking boycott. According to BBC News, students fear their work will not be read as the university plans to continue awarding degrees without necessary expertise to cope with the UK-wide industrial action. The marking boycott is part of the latest phase of industrial action by members of the university and college union at 145 institutions across the UK. Union members are refusing to undertake marking duties and assessment-related work. In response, universities are considering a number of measures, including changing marking guidelines and basing final grades on work already submitted. Many students have expressed sympathy towards staff, but also frustration that industrial action has had little impact on anyone but students, as universities have not reopened negotiations. The University of Edinburgh said it has robust measures in place to reduce the impact of industrial action and that work, including dissertations, would be read. Schools Week comment on teacher burnout after a report from Wellbeing Service Education Support shows a quarter of leaders, teachers and support staff said additional responsibilities were adding an, on average four to six hours to their working week. 15% of staff said they were spending an extra seven to 10 hours supporting pupils. The collapse in support services feeding into schools including creaking mental health support and overwhelmed SEND services 
has left schools and their staff struggling to cope. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of School Leaders Union ASCO, said schools had become the de facto and unofficial branch of social and healthcare services, but that a lack of training, resources or capacity was putting staff under considerable workload stress. The most common additional responsibilities included offering pupils and colleagues emotional support and dealing with difficult pupil behaviour. More than one quarter of staff surveyed said they had prepared food for pupils who didn't have any, and 41% said they had purchased supplies such as pens, paper and school bags. In the same YouGov survey, two-thirds of school staff said public bodies such as CAMS and social services had been unable to offer pupils support. Further details of the findings can be found on the Schools Week website. The Guardian reported on a proposal to recruit school leavers into healthcare service apprenticeships, which would allow tens of thousands of doctors and nurses to train on the job. The NHS workforce plan could see up to one in ten doctors and one third of student nurses trained through this vocational path in coming years. The alternative route would circumvent the standard undergraduate or graduate route. The plans have been met with criticism by unions, but Amanda Pritchard, Chief Executive of NHS England, has been speaking to pupils at a North East Comprehensive School, where she encouraged pupils to earn while they learn, and highlighted the 350 different roles available within the NHS. Finally, in Wales, the BBC reports that the increasing cost of food means school caterers are struggling to deliver on the Welsh Government plan for universal free school meals. The unit price was set with an assumption about possible cost increases, but Education Minister Jeremy Miles said the world has obviously moved on and a further review was needed. The current rate of around £2.90 per child in a primary school is being described as no longer viable as price increases of 20% on items like milk, cheese, fruit and vegetables take their toll. The Universal Free School Meals Plan is being rolled out in phases to all primary schools, although a target for every child in reception year one and year two to be offered a free school meal by April has been missed. The policy has been welcomed, but challenges needed to be acknowledged. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've been searching for crazy technology. The tech I found ranges from rather funny to actually quite useful. Let's see if I can blow your mind. Everyone has probably used Google Translate at some point, even if it's just to translate a word into another language and back again to see if it changes. Well, the Google Pixel earbuds paired with the Pixel phone allow you to switch on conversation mode. Now what is being said to you in a foreign language is translated into your earbuds in real time. What you say is translated and projected via your phone. You do need an Android 6.0 or higher to do this, but this has potential to be a game changer for communicating not only when traveling, but in hospitality too. Next up is a quirkier invention, Smarty Pans. There aren't many things you can't connect to an app, and the frying pan is now joining the club. The Smarty Pan has a built-in scale to weigh your food as you add it to the pan, a handle that tells you when the pan is at temperature, and the app guides you through how to cook a meal you're preparing. Also, the nutritional content of your meal is calculated by the app. There's no advertised price for this pan yet, but keep your eyes peeled. It replaces a cookbook, reading the nutrition on a packet, and your kitchen scales, as long as you fry everything. My final crazy technology is the Hush Me. This is an invention 
for those concerned about being overheard by others when talking on their phone or other connected devices. It works by muffling your voice so others can't hear you, keeping private conversations private. Genius, I hear you say. I need one so I can work during my commute. Before you break out the credit card, it is a rather chunky device you wrap around your whole head. I'd describe it as a pair of large headphones that connect to a cup to cover your mouth. At just over £180 and making you look like Darth Vader, you may want to do a bit of research first. Do you know of any crazy tech? Do you own any? As always, why not get in touch at TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Yes, uh, Gareth, Noswefar. Um, as I should be saying, we, we you know, every time, every time I get pulled up on it, but you know, most people should know. Uh, uh, okay, I, I do it because most people recognise it. I guess you know, it's me. It's me feigning to the masses but yeah not with that um i said before we started actually you know i want to comment on one of those news stories when we talk about projects and ones that fail this is one that i hope doesn't fail universal free school meals for primary school children in wales and how sad that would be if it was down to the cost of food that meant that we didn't feed those children i you know i'm a passionate advocate and i know there are people who have their criticisms about you know whether that money should be spent in their way how it's rolled out but you know what does that say if because food is so expensive and it's such a struggle to buy that that we're not able to feed uh some of our students and and some of the most vulnerable you know that is that is a real worry And, and and part of the reasons why project management as i say is an important skill in education and across the board and more and more so so you've joined us we've been talking about project management and project failure in education why it's important and what sort of training uh we have as educators to do it i've said you know this this comes to the front more and more as people have small projects put on their performance management targets it might be that you know as a teacher you're asked to improve boys handwriting or you're asked to redevelop a library area maybe as a middle leader or a subject leader you're you're asked to do something that that embeds across the whole curriculum or maybe as an assistant head or head teacher i think there exists training you know i would hope that some of that training that's going into middle leadership involves some of this certainly i know that there are parts of it on the mpqh when i've done it um but uh, you know, let's reflect for a second on some statistics about projects out there in the business world. Um, this is from Rike.com, which is W-R-I-K-E. Um, and theirs is an analysis, they call it the complete collection of project management statistics. These are back pre-pandemic in uh, 2015. But they found that only 64% of projects meet their goals. This is in the in the, in, in the, the outside of education now. 64% of projects meet their goals. I ask you, 
about this specifically for your school improvement projects, there is a chance that you have had a staff meeting where a project has been launched. And do we think that just over half of them will succeed and just under half of them will fail and will never hear from again and won't be embedded and won't work? Um, they also say 70% of companies report having at least one failed project in the last year. What does that mean for education? Well, if we apply those still statistics, as I say, there's a chance that at least one of those new initiatives that your school has introduced, whether it be uh, different water fountains, every child having a water bottle, uh, how you put your pencil cases away in classroom or how how you deal with uniform issues or even behavior issues 70 percent of companies that that's a lot for nearly three quarters of of companies saying they've had it, something that has failed it's a lot and it's a lot of money you know i've mentioned this earlier on when i talk about opportunity cost we ignore that staff cost money in education because we assume the hours are there if every staff meeting was paid overtime what would your school be doing differently if every new project that you had to introduce of changing the colors of your pens was costed out with staff hours as well what would you be doing differently they say that organizations lose 109 million dollars every year from every one billion dollars invested uh, in new projects and programs that's about 10 percent. you're losing about 10 percent of your money uh, when when you start doing projects and programs through failure through mismanagement, I would call it, but, you know, uh, lack of cost uh, and risk management. High-performing organisations complete 89% of their projects. Low performers, 36% of their projects. This success rate, you know, when we apply, if we're applying this to schools, no wonder there is that teacher at the back of the staff room during a staff meeting who's been a teacher 20 years and has seen it all come and go and yeah okay so this year we have to have this poster up on our classroom door but it won't last long maybe that's you maybe it's not maybe that's part of the problem and why we need to look at communication they say uh the issues around uh, why uh, the, the most common causes of project failure. Changing priorities within an organisation, that's responsible for 40% of project failure. I'd agree with that. In education, we have to adapt. We have to move with the times. You know, it might have been that pre-COVID, you had a project that you were going to be looking at and, you know, priorities change. And, and so I'd feel less bad at that. Inaccurate requirements, 38%. Changing project objectives, 35%. Undefined risks and opportunities, 30%. And, and, and here we start hitting into ones that really shouldn't be costing us projects to fail. Poor communication is responsible for 30% of project failure. That's a damning statistic. Um, Catherine has messaged in. Remember, if you're live in the studio, you can message us and join the conversation. Gareth's messaged in. Catherine's messaged in. And it says, useful to understand staff perceptions of school culture as part of planning. Yeah, I think so. You know, as part of that, that, that risk management strategy, as part of that pre-planning process and looking at how you're going to implement, if you know that uh, staff are resistant to change, you know, how are you going to deal with that change management? How are you going to win hearts and minds, for want of a better better phrase, when implementing your new project? Or is it going to be like many, many school projects I've seen where uh, somewhere in the leadership team, they've decided that they want something to happen 
maybe because they've seen it at another school or heard it on a teacher talk radio show. You know, they've said, we want to do this. Uh, we want to have a, a reading dog. We want to have uh, all of our children line up in the playground. That's what we want to do. And so they've done a staff meeting on it and said, we want to have this thing. And that's been it. Well, you know, I, I and we wonder why these, these things uh, fail. Uh, Gareth's messaging saying uh, planning and staff buy-in is really important. You know, I think as we move down, uh, poor change management is responsible for 25% of uh, project failure. Procrastination within the team is responsible for 13% of uh, project failure. And so we have these kind of damning statistics of why projects fail in the real world, those ones. Uh, I think if we move on to education, when we think about them, and I will read out some of the messages we've had on Twitter about why projects fail or what it is we need to do. Deputy Grucott uh, on Twitter said, for me, it's about really committing. If you make it truly part of your school, then it can be a success. It's about keeping on about it, pushing it all the time, mentions in staff meetings, asking how it's going, celebrating successes only once it's embedded, let go of the reins. And I think for me, I would say we think things are embedded too early. We think things of uh, a bit like learning sometimes. You know, we don't do that retrieval practice enough. We think because we've taught it, it's been learned. And with school improvement, we think because we've done a staff meeting on it or it's been for a half term, people have been doing it. We think it's embedded and, and really it's not. Uh, let's look at some of our other listener comments that we've had. Adele Bates, a friend of the show, says, when not all stakeholders are included in the planning stage of it, uh, she says she sports schools with behaviour, zero sense in working on improvement without involving the dinner supervisors. Kids known for their behaviour, uh, they always know implementation considerations that SLT can't. I think that, you know, that's stakeholders and at that level as well, who's it going to affect and involving everyone? That's such a really valid point. Uh, Meg's has messaged in saying a lack of accountability, support and challenge, good governance can be very effective. Uh, Woody Dannon has messaged in saying uh, too much change, lack of monitoring, review and reflection isn't responsive and we move on without really embedding an idea, then deem it a failure. Too much change is a really important and interesting one. Uh, Gareth's messaged in saying uh, some schools can fall into the trap of jumping on the bandwagon without considering the why. What impact would be intended and does it lend itself to your school culture demographic? You know, I think we see that all the time. You know, certainly I do. I don't want to call them fads or trends, but certainly something that's been successful at another school. And, and you want to just implement it without challenge, you know, without considering what that means for you. Now, I want to move us on uh, to a, um, a a blog that was written, an article um, from Learning Focused. It was by Don Martler. It was, why does school improvement plans, initiatives and implementations fail? He starts off by saying, educators believe in the importance of learning from our mistakes and failures, and it isn't uncommon to hear conversations about how we should support and maybe even celebrate failures. But as educators, do we really embrace the same mindset for school improvement? He says, uh, we must understand that we can make a sound decision and get a poor outcome or vice versa. We can make a poor decision and get a good outcome. Therefore, we must be able to reflect on the outcomes from our decision making. So he talks about it as the fundamental attribution error. Um, 
you know, that's something that I think happens a lot. You know, when we really unpick, we see something go well. He gives us uh, five reasons why school improvements plans fail. And, you know, I think these are uh, definitely worth us reflecting on. Uh, Catherine's messaging saying, if staff experience or perceive their professionalism as strongly linked to their experience, uh, can change, oh, so change can seem like a judgment of their professionalism. Yeah, you know, I've seen that so many times, particularly, you know, with maybe new leadership or uh, I don't want to say aggressive, maybe like, you know, excited, excite someone who's ex passionate, someone who's passionate maybe about their thing. And they come in and say, you know, we want to do it this way because it's better or have maybe, you know, suggesting how you were doing it before wasn't good you know, or how you were doing it before was, was bad. And now I want to give you the way to do it good. That that does feel, yeah, for me, you know, I, that feels like a kind of personal attack, doesn't it? Where our professionalism and our, our teaching is so personal to us. I think that's a, you know, a really valid point. So first of these reasons, though, is good idea slash bad bedfellows. Um, talks about uh, bedfellows or stakeholders, including employees, uh, strategic partners, investors, can all play a role in a venture's downfall. Uh, everyone in a school system has heard, read, or experienced good ideas that were not successful at some point. And this occurs because the relationship with it, a system can include bad bedfellows who change a good idea into a bad idea. If you think about a process of a good idea can start at any level within a school system and turn bad due to any level not buying into the uh, initiative. And that's what we've heard from so many of our listeners tonight, that buy-in so important. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I've talked before about lethal mutation. And, and, and part of that for me is the communication of what we're doing. If, you know, we're all going to have water bottles is your, is, is your school improvement objective. If no one knows why, and how are we ever going to implement that? You know, is it because the kids are spilling water? Is it because they're messing about? Is it because we've noticed that all the children are dehydrated? All of those are completely different aims and objectives that we need to we need to map out and, and need to be aware of the purpose and the point of the, the project. Reason number two he talks about is false starts. He says, in education, this occurs when the decisions to move forward with an idea are made before determining and communicating the efforts necessary for improvement. Uh, it can be detrimental and, and it can fail before it gets started or, or give a stop-start approach. You know, I've seen this a lot where, you know, maybe we're told that, you know, there's, there's going to be a big push on, on uniform. And we do that in, in September and then we don't hear about it again. Uh, maybe until Christmas when we've got time to breathe again and other things took over and, and the rush of September and, no, and October and November. And, oh, hang on, we were supposed to be doing this or maybe it's part, you know, I would blame in education a lot of this down to termly um, governor's meetings and review periods where we, uh, we only remember that we're supposed to be doing this big push or this big project when it gets to the point where we need to review it. And so we have another big push and a panic. Reason number three that they give uh, is false positives. False positives caused by misinterpreting difference between compliance and the greatest impact. Okay, how many times when we've had a project, you know, we want to improve handwriting. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to gauge the number of pen licenses. And I hate pen licenses, but it's my example. We're going to gauge the number of pen licenses that children have. 
And then what happens? Everyone gives out pen licenses a little bit quicker. Uh, but has the improvement in uh, handwriting gone up or has it just been given out more pen licenses? Those false positives, you know, is learning better? Is better learning happening because the books are being given out quicker or are just the books being given out quicker? You know, what are we measuring? How do we know what it is? I think all of those things are important. Um, now, number four, as we move through it, uh, they suggest speed traps, like speed traps on the highway. Uh, this is an American article, I should say. I would say uh, speed cameras on the motorway. Uh, the desire to get from point A to point B as fast as possible uh, will prevent any initiative from achieving its desired outcome happens so much you know how many times have we seen something that should be a school priority for three years try to get done in a year because the school improvement plan was written for a year you know how many times do we need to slow things down how many times do we want a big impact or external agencies like Ofsted we know they're coming in and we need to do things fast rather than worrying about embedding uh, and, and sustainable long-term growth and development of our school projects. All of these things, so true of education. And uh, Catherine there is, uh, has mentioned, my son, eight, uh, says he also hates pen licenses. Yeah, uh, they were a thing. I, uh, I hope, and more and more, they are less so of a thing. Um, that may, maybe there's a show in it. Maybe I'll, I'll dig out my pen license show and, and why they're so bad. Uh, or at least why I think they're so bad, I should say. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't say for sure whether that's the views of Teachers Talk Radio as a whole, but certainly my view, personally, yeah, don't do it. Get rid of them. Right, the final one, number five. <laughs> he shouted at you for mentioning him. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop with it. I, I apologise uh, to your son, Catherine, for, for bringing it up. Um, reason number five why projects fail says uh, help wanted this stumble occurs because improvement requires a deep understanding and commitment to manage the high expectations from the leader spearheading the initiative as a leader your job's not necessary to have all of the answers but to recognize that everyone must learn and grow to move forward an obvious example of this is when a school improvement plan calls for some professional development during the professional development the leaders in the building are either not present or don't participate in the day's activities. Their behaviour sends a clear message that it's not important uh, to them. It's just important for you. And I hate to say I have seen this where, you know, something big is going to be launched or some external training is happening and, and, and the head teacher maybe isn't in the room to hear the behaviour consultant talking about behaviour or to hear the um, SEND advisor talking about the importance of SEND. And that message as it comes through. Now, for me, the, the, you know, those things are things that happen. And we've heard, as I say, from some of our listeners about. Uh, now, I'm going to give you uh, the free reasons, uh, the free solutions, sorry, uh, from this article. Uh, then at the very end of the show, we'll tie things back together by just touching back and talking about the Education Endowment Foundation and their advice and seeing how they match up. But the solutions given to deal with uh, these school improvement, these project failures as we see them, are solution one, develop the why. 
be clear why initiatives are important and how uh, the school improvement team uh, can help and why they're talking about it. Developing the why is such an important part of any project, uh, particularly in schools, though, as I say, because of that lethal mutation, um, because of the mixed messages, because of the, the possible umbrage that people are taking uh, when you're suggesting that things should be done better or should be done differently. Solution number two that they give is to identify a specific problem. Too many times school improvement for me is focused on the outcome and the change. As I've said before, we want more water bottles without you know, developing that why and identifying specifically, okay, you know, what is it about the water bottles that we want to achieve? Frequently we look, you know, for school in, in improvement to encompass multiple problems and, and, and make that makes sort of the decisions more difficult because you know we're gonna improve reading scores. Well, what does that specifically look like for who, where, and by when? Identifying a specific problem and a specific you know, solution to it is really important, which leads us on to number three, which is define the criteria for success. It is no good saying we want to improve behavior. It's too big. It's too broad. It's too bland. You know, what exactly do we want to do? And then from that, you can start talking about have we made a false start? Have we had a false positive? You know, how well have we achieved our goals? And what do we need to adapt and change and tweak uh, to, to make it successful? And, uh, you know, as we know, having a success criteria, having a scaffold there helps us to understand the why, helps us to understand the specific problem. Now, before we hear from the Education Endowment Fund, I wanted to take you back just to talk about uh, the Happy Confident Company. And, uh, you know, I waxed lyrical earlier about their journals. I'm, I'm a big fan of their journals, but also I wanted to draw your attention to uh, happyconfident.com uh, website where their Feel It program, uh, it talks about being, you know, it's suitable for from reception all the way up, but ready to teach bite-sized activities with lessons uh, for each of the 96 feelings. And I want you to take a moment there and reflect. For me, certainly, I often talk about not having the emotional literacy or the emotional vocabulary to really deal with day-to-day -day life. You know, and I'm an adult. <laughs> I'm a, you know, but I, I, I have suffered from that, that, that toxic masculinity of shutting myself down. And I don't want that for the children I teach. And I don't that, want that for my own children. And so a really interesting, well worthwhile thing to check out. And I want you just to hear from them. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready to go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Nosweitha. Uh, we are back. Good evening from here in Swansea. Teachers Talk Radio, Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn. Um, yep, it, you know, 
it is the evening. We are coming to the end of our show. It's been great talking to everyone and, and hearing those suggestions. You know, we've heard them from our, our, our Twitter followers as they've commented with their ideas for, you know, how to make school improvement projects successful. We've heard some of the facts about the failure rates. You know, 60% of, of projects fail uh, out in the real world. What does that mean for us in education? And what does that mean about our learning and when we think about how a project uh, in school? which, as I say, more and more, uh, I'm seeing them being given to teachers you know, across the board. Maybe you haven't had that middle leadership training or, or, or senior leadership training on how to deliver a project. And certainly uh, some of the contextual stuff around education that we forget about when it's about cost management and risk management. I will say again, I've said it many, many times. If you had to pay overtime to your staff to attend that staff meeting, would you still do it? And, you know, uh, you know, I think that that kind of says enough on that for me. Now, I want to take us back at the start. We talked about the Education Endowment Foundation and their implementation guidance report of 2019, putting evidence to work, a school's guide to implementation. I'm going to go through the summary of their recommendations because they cover a lot of the things that we've talked about. And we've talked about business point of view on this and bringing that into education. And finally, we're talking about it with that specific education hat on. Now, the recommendations, the six recommendations that they put together, recommendation number one was to treat implementation as a process, not an event. Plan and execute it in stages. And we've heard that time and time again from our listeners, from the advice from the business world, that we need to look into this process. And I, I, you know, I would question any school that is regularly giving out uh, school improvement projects to its teachers. Do you have a process? Do you talk about a process? You know, perhaps you have a pro forma. I'd, I'd love to see that actually, you know, if you do message me and let, and let me know, because if you have a defined process that scaffolds and supports staff, I think that would be helpful and would help not miss the stages of engaging stakeholders, explaining the why, you know, and, and I think their choice of saying they're not an event, you know, that very targets for me, that idea of school improvement of a decision has been made. We've done a staff movement, a staff meeting on it. We're moving on, you know, it is something that that is a process and needs to be happening stages and those stages need to be defined. Recommendation number two. Uh, was to create a leadership environment and school climate that is conducive to good implementation. And I think we've talked about that this evening as well. You know, possibly taking people with you, but being aware, particularly of your staff cohort and that setup and that dynamic, that mix of, you know, where people might be hesitant, where people might be resistant and, and what we can do to support them to understand our why, understand our intent, our purpose and our vision uh, to move a school project forward. Taking time to do those things is important. Recommendation number three is to define the problem you want to solve and identify appropriate programs or practices to implement. And, and, and think about that for a second, as, as I do, because it is the opposite of what we've heard described, where someone picks something that worked at another school and drops it into their school. They say, hey, this school line up in the playground. We want to line up in the playground. That is the wrong way round. First define the problem, then 
identify appropriate solutions, then implement. And I think too many times we get that backwards. We decide what we want to do uh, and then kind of bolt it onto a problem. Recommendation number four is create leadership implementation plan. Judge the readiness of the school to deliver that plan and then prepare staff and resources. This planning process, I think we forget so many times. You know, I think we get a school improvement plan. We maybe map some timeframes onto it. Judging the readiness of the school, I think we rarely do. There is often talk about, you know, workload impact assessments. How rarely do I see them in, in practice? You know, barely at all. You know, how many projects are on the go? You know, how many staff meetings have you used up this year? You want to introduce another project? You know, are we at saturation point? How many things did we change this year already? I particularly see that when things like marking policies get changed. You know, if you're changing the marking policy, a curriculum map, if you're changing the behaviour scheme, you know, changing all of these things at the same time, that can be far too much and we become saturated. Too much change at once. It's not all going to embed. Recommendation number five is to support staff, monitor progress, solve problems, adapt strategies as the approach is used for the first time. Now, I talked before in one of these examples, you know, when they were talking about using quality coaches and peer-to-peer -peer support, and I thought to myself, right, how much do I hear of that kind of really clearly thought through support and monitoring process to embed a practice? How often do I hear it more as an announcement? We're going to be doing this uh, you know, a diktat. It's going to be this and it's going to be done. And then, you know, we move on to something else. You know, is it supported? Is it monitored? Are any uh, problems solved? What do they call it when building out? Snagging. You know, did, does someone go around looking for the snagging issues? The final one from them, and, you know, bringing us towards the end of the show now, recommendation number six is to plan for sustaining and scaling an intervention from the outset and continue, continuously acknowledge and nurture its use. We don't, I would say. Uh, if you looked back, to, you know, I, I would challenge someone, look back to your school improvement plan from two years ago. So maybe not last year, but even last year, look back. How many staff meetings did you have on any of those objectives this year? How many memos, how many emails were written about any of those objectives? Something that was on your school improvement plan two years ago. And if we are, if we recognise the benefit of retrieval practice in uh, education and learning, something similar must be, uh, must be an expectation in school development as well. If you changed your behaviour policy two years ago, are you going back and checking in? because some of your staff have been doing this 20 years and they've seen changes come and go. And that is my concern for education. And we talked at the start with David Dowdell's article saying that one of the one of the problems, why something like 60% of teachers, people with a teaching qualification aren't teaching at the moment. You know, there's plenty of teachers out there. They just don't want to do it. Is workload, is bureaucracy, is pointless tasks that don't impact on the learning that use up our time you know as i say i'll say it again because i've said it many times if that staff meeting was paid as overtime would you be doing it you know is it going to embed and if it really is worthwhile 
do it properly and give the extra time, give the extra meetings, give the extra support, the coaching, the, the reflection time, all of those things to embed it properly. Because if it's not, don't do it at all. Leave me alone. You know, I don't need another change if it's not going to stick. If it's really worthwhile, give me the time to make that change. Otherwise, we're facing, you know, when we look at the statistics where around half of projects fail. If that's true of education, as true as it is of the business world, that is a disappointing statistic for wasted staff time. Thank you for being with us tonight. Nostar, good evening, good night now from Swansea. Uh, and uh, yeah, have a great rest of the week. We're coming to the weekend. It's sunshine now. I know there's exams going on. I know, you know, SATs, Key Stage 2 hopefully have gone, but we've got other ones on the horizon. Maybe you're, you're, you're into Key Stage 1. Maybe you've passed them. I know we've got the phonics check. I know we've got the multiplication check. I'm in the middle of GCSEs. Lots going on at the moment. But the sun shines out, and hopefully for you as it is for me, you're driving to school in the daylight and you're driving home in the daylight, and that's a good time to be a teacher. So, Nostar. Good night. We'll see you all next time. Tune in. Talk it out. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.